0: This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault. On today's show, we're doing our next look into the Best Picture Candidates for this year's Oscars. I have been doing this since the first season of ContraZoom way back in 2016. Each episode, we look at three to four of the nominees and the chances they have to win each of their nominations. Last episode, we covered Everything Everywhere All at Once, Elvis, and Women Talking. On today's show, we'll be breaking down the odds that All Quiet on the Western Front, Tar, Avatar The Way of Water... In Triangle of Sadness all have to win. It's pretty simple. We will label each nomination for a movie as a frontrunner, dark horse, long shot, or just happy to be there. This is the last episode of this series, and we will have our predictions episode coming next week. Joining me today is Kyle Garzon, host of Once Upon a Time at the Oscars podcast, where they break down every Best Picture nominee ever uh, for each episode. So Kyle was last a guest on episode 187. Don't drive my dog. Another best picture breakdown episode. Uh, welcome back. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good, Dakota. How are
0: you? I'm uh, I'm good too. It's it's fine. I'm trying to describe your podcast, and uh, it sounds like every episode you you're reviewing like a thousand movies, and that's not really the case. You 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 go basically year by year and and decide. Uh, after you watch all five or 10 of them, which one was the best and and sort of how it stacks up in in today's lens. And I always enjoy listening uh, to your show because, you know, obviously I've seen a bunch of the classics, but then it's like, like the random ones were like, literally has been lost to the sands of time. And I'm like, where did you find this movie to begin with? Like how, how, like, are you, do you still enjoy this concept of like trying to find these super obscure movies and seeing how they uh, fit in today's film landscape?
1: Yeah, I think that's like one of my favorite aspects of the podcast is obviously going back and seeing these huge films like Citizen Kane I saw for the first time because of the podcast. Um, but when you find these really, really bizarre movies that nobody has heard of, it's it's super exciting. Like uh, a, a good example is the Broadway Mel. I think it was the Broadway Melody of 1929. That won Best Picture though, didn't it? It did, yeah. um, but you know, not many people have gone back and watched that one. And then last year, Babylon came out, um, Damien Chazelle's movie, and that movie was in Babylon. Oh. So it, it was cool to be like, "Oh, look i've I've seen this movie. I might be <laughs> one of the only people in this theater that have seen." Yeah, the Broadway Melody. I don't know. It's it, it's exciting little things like that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's one of the more big big name. Movies.
0: I just always remember. I think there's like one episode where you reviewed a movie called like My Dog Skippy or something like that. I'm like, who even names a movie like that? And how did that oh, movie yeah. get nominated for Best Picture?
1: Yeah, Skippy with the <laughs> oh, I forget his name now, but the little the little boy. It was um, good. It was fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're on you're on a bit of a hiatus, but you are hoping to bring the the show back soon, are, are you not?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying okay. to see. How best to move forward with the show? Um, a lot to think about there, but hopefully I can get it up and running sooner than later.
0: Cool, I'm I'm excited, and uh, you've, I know you've been a show guest on this one a few times. And if you ever any guests on that, I'm I'm more than willing to to come on because I love watching the old movies as well too. Oh, absolutely! I will be reaching
1: out to you multiple times. I'm sure.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Um, this is all about the Oscar death race. I want to know how your own personal death race is going for me, including shorts. I've now seen 36 of the 54 nominated movies. I think we're probably around uh, similar paces are, are we not?
1: Yeah, I have 24 movies left. So I guess that puts me at having seen 30. Okay. Um, so we're pretty close.
0: Do you, uh, do you feel you're going to get everything done in time or is it going to be a little bit of a crunch?
1: Um, I definitely have the the time to get everything done. It's more a matter of finding some of the harder-to-find movies, as it is every year. The international films and, and things like that. Um, but I should be able to pull it off.
0: Yeah, it seems like uh, there, there's a few that are a little bit trickier, uh, but it seems like a lot of them are going to be coming out to to VOD or to streaming services in the r- real short while. I know that the day before we recorded this, uh, the whale dropped on uh, VOD, and I know EO is coming to the Criterion channel, and there's some other ones that are finally about to be released. So I think it's going to make uh, everyone's lives a, a hell of a lot easier these last few weeks.
1: Yeah, I'm grateful for EO because I missed it in its theatrical run a couple weeks ago so thanks Criterion
0: <laughs> absolutely I, I agree with that too I'm very excited to to watch it for that since I uh, have that service too um, but yeah uh, today we are going to be talking about four movies the last two episodes we are doing three so this one we got a little bit more to do uh, that said there are less total nominations so it shouldn't be too difficult uh, but uh, let's get things started with the first one on our docket and that is all quiet on the Western Front This movie has eight nominations—oh, sorry, nine nominations, including Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best International Film for Germany, Best Original Score, Best Sound, Best Production Design, Best Cinematography, Best Makeup and Hairstyling, and Best Visual Effects. So let's start off with the biggie. And it's it's sort of interesting, you know— um, Anytime time an international film, uh, a movie not in English, gets nominated outside of the Best International Film category, Best Foreign Film Language, Best Foreign Language Film, as it used to be known as, uh, it sort of signals that that's the that's the big player of, of the year. And and there's no exception with that. With All Quiet on the Western Front* being that, especially considering it got nine nominations, which is pretty incredible, uh, all things considered. And, uh, and at first I was like, oh man, that's, that's very nice that they all can kind of go there and, uh, enjoy a nice night and they'll walk away with their one award. But, uh, the tides have slowly been changing, uh, just a couple days ago, the Baptist took place and all quiet on the Western front one best picture there, which is absolutely crazy. So does this change the best picture race at all, or does it still sort of seem like, we know what's mostly going to happen, where it's probably going to be everything everywhere, or maybe uh, a dark horse run by the Banshees of Anishirin or, or the Fablements or something like that. Do you think this has changed anything at all for All Quiet?
1: Um, I, I don't know. I've always felt, even before the BAFTAs, I feel like it's a toss-up between Everything Everywhere and All Quiet. And I, I feel the same way after the BAFTAs. It has not changed my personal opinion yet. So I don't know. It's it's really hard to say.
0: Yeah, this would be a, a huge, huge upset if it does end up winning, at least in my estimation. I, I still kind of have it in the long shot category because I think there's about three or four movies ahead of it. But it's looking like a uh, very strong long shot slash uh, weak dark horse where it's sort of straddling those two lines for me in my estimation.
1: Interesting. We're going to have uh, very different opinions on this show then.
0: Uh, I, I am quite a, a fan of this. Um, originally, my, my co-host Rachel was was hoping to be on this episode, but she was unavailable to, to be here today. And she really wants to talk about this movie because she absolutely loved it. Uh, and I think it's one of her picks probably for if she was a, a voter of, of what she would want for best picture. Um, but yeah, I I don't really know what to make of this. Is this surge like a little too little, too late? Is uh, does it really matter, or is this an indication of of things to come in the changing tide of the way uh, the preferential voting will, will sort of all play out for the Oscars? I don't really know yet.
1: I don't know. I I do think it's picking up steam. Mm-hmm. So. And I don't. I think everything, everywhere being released so early in the year too, just kind of pushes it to the back a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very true. Uh, let's move on to to best adapted screenplay. And and last week I was talking about how I think this is an incredibly weak category overall, where it, it sort of seems like it's it's women talking's award to lose. That said. I think if there's any film that really sort of stands a chance to, to maybe win it and that would be all quiet. Um, Especially since if it is gaining steam, this is probably a a category where it could pick up a, a win. And so I have this as a, as a pretty strong dark horse and and maybe even a co-favorite for this category. What what do you sort of make of uh, the, the five films that are nominated for best adapted screenplay?
1: So, I mean, you have the two films that are adapted from uh, as sequels basically which you even without going up against films that aren't adapted from sequels they're not very strong runners in the race uh, mm-hmm. glass onion and top gun they're good movies but they're as far as the screenplay goes going up against all quiet and women talking specifically like you said it's kind of a weak category um but yeah, you you think women talking is kind of the front runner?
0: I I think so because I think dialogue is is what plays strongest in in some of these screenplay categories. And of the five, I think the dialogue is is the best because it, it is really the most talky movie. It's right there in the title there. Um, the one thing I would maybe hold out for in thinking "All Quiet" is one. It's an adaptation. Have you have you actually seen the original "All Quiet on the Western Front"? That is a former Best Picture nominee, a winner. Sorry.
1: Oh yeah, it was it was one of our earliest episodes.
0: Nice. Uh, so, like, as someone who's seen that, and I've seen it too, this new one sort of verges, diverges quite uh, greatly from what it was. And yes, it sort of keeps the the very similar premise of. War is hell, and uh, the upper brass in Germany, yes, they're the people to be blamed, and the reason why uh, they were hated at that time and stuff like that. But the actual ground soldiers were no different. On the German side, from the English side, to the, any other country that was sort of involved in World War I. Uh, but they they sort of greatly expanded and gave a bit more depth to a lot of these characters instead of it just being like, hey, these uh, teenage boys that we're sending off to war, uh, they're not really the ones to blame. So I sort of appreciated the the expansion of this world.
1: No, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I like that you get to spend more time with Paul and Katz. Uh, than you did in the original film. I, I really most years I try and read the adapted screenplay source material. So in this case it would be the the original novel. Um, and I, I really want to read that because now I've seen two versions of this movie and I want to see which film was able to a- adapt the story better I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm with you. I I like the character development in the 2022 version a bit more than the 30 version
0: yeah it's been so long since i've seen the original one that i i can't really remember i knew i I remember the basic outline of the plot but the actual characters and and how things advance was something that uh it isn't quite on my mind i don't know if if it's a little more fresh for you than it is for me
1: it was about two and a half years ago so it's kind of faded a little (laughs) bit too but
0: fair enough fair (laughs) enough uh, so do you believe that all quiet is the, the front runner then in this category?
1: I do. I do. I think it's, it's paced really well. I think it's not only is it adapted from the novel now, but you can also say that it was in a way adapted from the best picture winner from 1930, 1931. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it has like a lot of history going for it too. Um, but i don't know yeah women talking now that you mention just the dialogue heavy nature of it i don't know you're kind of swaying me
0: <laughs>
1: where it's like 50-50 for me
0: yeah but do you think living at all is uh, is one that maybe could have a make a bit of a surprise run here
1: i think it's definitely the third film in the running but i i don't think it has a chance against either all quiet or women talking
0: okay that's fair. That's fair. Uh, okay. So the next one is a best international film. And this is going to be the only time we talk about this category in the whole series for obvious reasons. It's it's up against Argentina 1985 from Argentina, Close from Belgium, EO from Poland, and The Quiet Girl from Ireland. And and like I said off the top there, anytime a movie from this category is the same as in Animated or in Doc, if any of them get nominations outside those categories, it usually means it's a, a shoe in to win. It's um, it's main category, if you want to call it that. I don't, I don't really know. Uh, Like look at like Parasite, you know, when Parasite ended up getting a whole bunch of nominations, including Best Picture, it's like, well, all right, we already know who's winning Best International. It's obviously Parasite. How are they doing with the rest of the night? Right. And it's basically the exact same thing. There, there is zero chance that Al Quay is not winning Best International. I know Argentina in nineteen eighty five has picked up a few awards as of late from uh, from different um, award ceremonies, and, and EO had a nice little run back when it first came out, especially in the festivals. But, uh, but this is probably the safest lock of the entire Oscar night. Would, would you sort of agree with that? Hundred percent agree. Yeah, there, there's no real competition here, uh, and so I'm I'm happy for them because this is a very well deserving film. I've only seen three of the five nominees, but uh, I haven't seen Argentina 1985 or EO yet. But so far, this is looking like a it's a pretty stacked category, but uh, it normally is. Normally, the crop of international films is very solid, and it's usually the place where you find your your hidden gems of the year.
1: Yeah, I, I did. You ever see Never Look Away?
0: That was the one I could not find. That one was impossible that year to find. Oh, man.
1: I saw it in theaters, and, and that's a good example of, you know, I was kind of lukewarm on on the best pictures that year. And then I saw that movie, and I was blown away.
0: So, I don't know. Wow.
1: I'm, hoping, yeah. I'm hoping EO will be that this year.
0: <laughs> yeah? When you, when you finally get around to watching it? Yeah.
1: I the <laughs> little donkey <it> makes me <laughs> happy.
0: Have you seen any of the other nominees yet?
1: no i've only seen all quiet so that's why i can speak so confidently on why i think it's the front runner
0: all right well uh prepare to be uh devastated by close and uh, the quiet girls also um, makes you feel a lot of emotions too
1: perfect that's what i'm looking for
0: (laughs) all right uh moving on we've got best sound uh sorry best original score uh I was in love with this score. What incredible, you know, use of anachronistic synthesizers uh, that created such a foreboding. I'm going to include a little clip uh, at the beginning of uh, of this, when we're talking about All Quiet, of, of from the score, and it's just absolutely incredible. I could not believe what I was listening to. And at first, you're like, eh, "This, I don't know if this works for it. And then, like, you keep hearing this motif again and again, anytime, you know, things are... Going, eh, they're going okay for everyone, but they're about to go a whole lot worse for them. Uh, you hear this motif again, and it just it just burrows deep into your brain and sort of sticks with you. It's so haunting. Uh, was this a score that you you particularly liked?
1: I'm going to be honest, no.
0: Oh wow, okay, <laughs> interesting. Was it the anachronistic aspect didn't work?
1: No, I I think I think it sounded great, but that this is kind of dopey on my part that motif you mentioned uh what is right yeah Mm -hmm. it completely reminded me of annihilation Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and i could not get that out of my head so every time i heard it i just thought about annihilation and that kind of ruined it for me and when i look back and, and i try and think of the score those three notes are the only thing i can think of which I guess is good. Mm -hmm. You know, it was effective. And and like you said, it it definitely had the, the effect of thinking everything's fine. And then you hear those three notes and you know that bad things are on their way. Um, but it was my own brain just messing with me when it came to this score.
0: Interesting. Okay. So, so how would you categorize this for its odds to win then?
1: I put it as a long shot. Mm. Um, I think Damien Chazelle is the front runner without a doubt. And then John Williams is just kind of like an automatic in, Mm -hmm. uh, even if I'm not super crazy about the Fableman score. I don't know. I just, I put both of those in front of all quiet.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I, I definitely have Babylon as as the front runner and I probably have, um, I'd probably put all quiet as the dark horse, but yeah, I probably in the same category where I don't know is, is John Williams or is Carter Burwell also up there? Because both of them are kind of, you know, for, for different reasons, legendary names. Carter Burwell, more recently in the last decade, decade and a half, has really made a name for himself as one of the most exciting composers. And, and John Williams, who has his entire body of work. And we talked about in the episodes that we we did the Fablemans on about how this is going to be John Williams' last Steven Spielberg movie. And, and maybe they want to send him off uh, on on a high note, uh, no pun intended or pun intended. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's definitely Babylon's to lose at this point. Um, I I don't know. I think, I think the uniqueness is going to help all quiet, but I I don't know if it's enough to overcome Babylon, which was uh, very much um, not only the best score, but also the most score, I think.
1: Oh yeah. That just the, going to listen to that score on spotify it's like an hour and a half long i think
0: wow there's that's so, so much music just like absolutely amps you up you go to the gym just gonna play some babylon
1: <laughs> yeah get all coked out and head to the gym
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely all right uh moving on now to best sound um War movies traditionally do play pretty well in this category, and uh, interestingly enough, um, this is the the only real – I guess it's not really the only war movie. I guess you can call Top Gun kind a of war movie. Is it a war movie? I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is Avatar a war movie? I don't know. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh is Elvis a war? no, Elvis is not a war movie even though there are, is a sequence where he does go to war uh in Germany of all places. Um <laughs> we we talked about this in the last episode about how best sound and best editing are, are pretty intertwined with each other. That's uh that's Paulo's um take on it and the fact that All Quiet on the Western Front is not nominated for best editing sort of does it a bit of a disservice there. That said, I, I think you can never really, truly discount uh, a war film from uh, getting Oscar voters all uh, all excited for uh, giving that another award for, for Tanks That Go Boom.
1: Yeah, and I, I think this one's so much more than just gunfire grenades and, and tanks going boom. Um, there, there's a lot of interesting things I think they do with – Paul's hearing at different points of the movie. Um, they, they definitely go a step further than just explosions and things like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm calling it a, a dark horse. The fact that it doesn't have the editing nomination. Yeah. That probably hurts it a little bit. Um, and I think top gun is probably winning this award, but, uh, but it's probably right there behind it. Um, yeah, I, this is this is a bit of a tougher category. Normally, this category you can kind of predict a bit better with it, but uh, I know we're, we're neither of us are fans of Avatar. Spoiler alert! That's going to come up in a little bit. Um, but you have to wonder: does the technical aspects of that film sort of win out?
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. And people just really like the sounds of those jets. Mm-hmm. I, I had a manager at a, at a store I used to work at that love the original Top Gun and and they bought like this huge surround system just to watch that movie and hear the the <laughs> jets go nuts. And I was like, wow, that's, that may be one of the first examples I've ever experienced of just like a casual movie goer really, really loving the sound of a film. Yeah. So I don't know. That kind of puts Top Gun a little bit higher for me
0: gonna spend uh, a grand on the surround system just uh just to watch the same movie on repeat
1: yeah why not
0: <laughs> all right uh let's move on to a best production design this is a tricky one because there there's a few really interesting sets uh i'm, I'm thinking uh, especially the that one house where the I don't know what rank he is, but that commander sort of is uh, basically playing uh, chess with people's lives. And then when they do the armistice agreement in the train, very beautiful, very lush sets. Other than that, obviously, yeah, sets are having to be built to make all these trenches and, you know, the the hideouts i don't know what you call them the rooms in the trenches where where a lot of the scenes do take place but for some reason it almost doesn't register as that being production design when you're watching like oh yeah they just dug a hole in the field that's not really production design when you compare it to something like babylon where it's like these very uh, beautifully and ornate 1920s hollywood homes and the studio lots and all that sort of stuff and I so it, it's tricky. I wonder if voters are going to look at this category in this movie and be like, "I don't really know. I, I don't know." Some of the production sounds a little bit better on some of the other movies. Uh. <laughs> so for that, like I'm looking at, it, it's like, is is this a long shot? Is this just happy to be there? I I can't really get a read of this category. What, what, how are you feeling?
1: It is my front runner for production design. <laughs> wow.
0: Okay. So what I just said there was completely off the mark. Then.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it, Like you said, you, you think, oh, they just dug a hole. That's all they did for this trench. And that's how believable it is. You think that they, they just dug a hole. This is actually what they did for world war one. They got exactly what they were going for with that. And (laughs) I think it's also when you, when you look at them running across no man's land, you know, and, and the barbed wire and, and the, the ditches from the the mortar fire and things and just where bodies are laying things like that. Like this is a brutal visceral film that relies so much on how dirty and bleak and depressing just every single frame is outside of, like you said, the, the armistice signing and all of that.
0: Mm -hmm. And I, I
1: think it pulls it off better than, many war films that have come out in recent years
0: interesting okay so what would you say is its toughest competition then in this category
1: i would probably say babylon um like you said that just goes above and beyond to to make these big extravagant mansions and things um but i don't know I, i just i feel like all quiet just does things that a war movie hasn't done for a long time
0: i wonder if because of how big of a a flop babylon was and i i personally really love the movie and and i know rachel my co-host also really loved it and numerous other people i respect really like it but when you're talking purely on a financial level it cost well over 100 million to make and i'll i'll be shocked if it even comes close to a quarter of making that it was, it's going to be one of the all time big flops and reviews of it were mixed at best where you, you either have people that absolutely loved it or absolutely hated it. So it's a very divisive film. I wonder if maybe that's going to play in a little bit to voting of like some people being like, well, you know, I don't really want to vote for the movie that was this big of a flop. Do we want our legacy to be rewarding Movies that were well received did well business wise, helped us in the industry as a whole, or we want to reward a flop. So I wonder if that is one way all quiet can sort of uh, make up for Babylon's um, off screen failures.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a good way for it to stand a chance. I I really don't understand why so many people bash Babylon the way they did. I, I'm one of those people that I loved that movie Mm -hmm. um but yeah just it being ill received and and not getting the spotlight that it deserved i think that does kind of bump up other films in this category including all quiet
0: Mm -hmm. interesting okay uh moving on to another very tricky category for me is is best cinematography where i look at the this group and it's just all right to me uh I'm a huge tar fan and I love that. Like the cinematography was really good, but I, that's not what sold the movie. It's obviously Kate Blanchett's performance. And I ranted about Elvis on the last episode because it's all CGI and, and not in a good way. And so I, I despise that. And I just watched empire of light and it's fine. It's really good, but it's nothing unique that we haven't seen from Roger Deakins before. There's some really good shots in all on the Western front, but also it's not going to go down. In my opinion, as like, One of the all-time great shot films. I haven't seen Bardo yet, so I can't really comment on that. So because of maybe my my indifference of this category, I don't really know where it's going to go. I think the fact that Bardo and Empire of Light have no other nominations anywhere else is really going to hinder their odds. So you can basically cross them off right away. And then you're left with All Quiet, Elvis, and Tar, and, and maybe it's my Elvis hatred coming out where I don't think they'd award a movie that has such terrible CGI. So then it's between All Quiet and Tar, and I think All Quiet's a little bit more flashy than Tar, and so I think maybe that's where it's going to go. So I'm, I'm calling it a front runner, but it's a, I'm a very uh, confused predictor right now with this category.
1: It, it's funny. I actually think this is a really tough category because a few of these films are so impressive when it comes to their cinematography. Um, I do think all quiet is a little flashier. Um, Most of it to me exists in, in still shots where they're just beautifully framed. Um, Mm -hmm. Tar actually has a very mobile camera in a lot of its scenes. Uh, And I, I was actually really impressed by the cinematography of that film. Bardo when you watch it, that's a beautiful movie. Um, It, it actually, I don't know. It, it jumped up to maybe being the dark horse of the category for me.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: But I, I do think all quiet is the front runner once again for this category.
0: (laughs) I, I, I agree with what you were saying about tar there. And we're going to talk about a bit more, but uh, I am, I am a fan of that movie a lot. It's going to, it ranked very highly on my best films of the year list. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm calling all quiet a front runner for this category as well. All right, we'll move on to the next one, which is best makeup and hairstyling. And uh, unfortunately I I think this is just happy to be there. The, they do a really great job of progressively making everyone a lot dirtier and muddier and, and things like that. And it, it it gets really gross with just like how caked on this dirt and grime and mud is to their faces. And, uh, and Rachel's joking around being like, I just want them to like splash some water on their face once during the movie to wash their faces. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A lot, lots of blood obviously as well, which, I don't know. Is that considered special effects or is that considered hair and makeup? I don't I don't really know what they qualify as that. I guess if it's uh, coming out of a body, it's special effects, but if it lands on someone, it becomes uh, makeup <laughs> is, the, is the best way to describe it. Yeah. So I don't really know. Uh, that said, it doesn't really stand a chance against the whale and Elvis and even the Batman, which all three are, have very heavy prosthetic work. Uh, in in something that all quiet just really doesn't have, unfortunately.
1: So, with with this one, this is more of like an opinion thing where I really hope it does win, because in in all quiet, yes, you have the caked on mud and and the gore when it's considered makeup and not just gore, um, but you're also taking these characters and you're you're making them go ghost white pale. Because of the terror that they're seeing Um, and just, I don't know, the sweat and and they just look like they're really having a miserable time and that's all done through makeup and it's really, really impressive. The three that you name that are ahead of it for you, Elvis, the whale, and the Batman, like you said, they all rely on prosthetics and unfortunately they all rely on fat suits.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. They do. And I
1: I hate that. I I don't understand when this category became more about fat suits and mm-hmm. less about actual makeup and hairstyle. I I think it's weird to celebrate that type of makeup and hairstyle, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: No, no it does because it, it, I I feel like you know the the all-time iconic, you know, best makeup and hairstyle style wins used to be for like um, on horror movies and science fiction work where it was doing like very interesting prosthetic work that was advancing the, the hair and makeup game because you, you'd look back and you'd be like, Oh yeah. Uh, American werewolf in London when, when they won, you know, uh, Um, I'm pretty sure that's was that Rick Baker that did that? Yeah, Um, I I think it was where it was just like completely inventing new techniques to uh, to do transformations and applying hair and prosthetic work and stuff like that. And then somewhere along the lines of the last, you know, 15 plus years, it, it really has been sort of uh who made uh the best fat suit uh you know the, you think of uh the darkest hour winning gary oldman and looking like winston churchill and stuff like that and yeah. uh and that's sort of where it's gone and it it's almost like the hair aspect doesn't even matter anymore it's just best makeup too
1: yeah it's it's really a bummer that i don't know like elvis is on here but blonde is not even though yeah. I'm not a huge fan of blonde, but the makeup and hairstyle, I mean, Ana de Armas, I, yeah. she looked like Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, I don't know, it really bums me out that this category is so focused on prosthetics and specifically fat suits.
0: And I wonder if if we're at like such a peak of makeup and prosthetic work where there's a lot less being invented these days where they, they know how to do this sort of stuff. They, there, there's nothing new or original left. So you're basically stuck with just uh, who did the most work.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Um, If if that's what we're basing this on, then I still put all quiet as the front runner (laughs) because that's a lot of mud.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, if, if for, for me, I, Wish that a lot of the categories, especially with something like this, where it went to um, originality and not just necessarily the most. Um, especially since, like, you look at something like the whale. I that's that's one of the few I haven't seen yet. Uh, this category, the only one I haven't seen, where it basically comes down to one actor, and it's the same with the Darkest Hour, where it was basically one actor, where that that's what the whole campaign was based around. Whereas. In in All Quiet, it really is making everyone uniformly look uh, this disheveled and this dirty. Um, Elvis had at least two, both uh, Austin Butler and Tom Hanks had prosthetic work being done, very different prosthetic work. At least with Elvis, he also had the hair aspect too. Um, But the Batman seems like most of it's going to be focused around uh, the Colin Farrell uh prosthetic work whereas yeah this one is 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 across the board and i think that's something that should be more rewarded than just like hey you did a really good job on one character.
1: I, well don't forget in the batman you also have the cameo of the joker.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> we cannot forget about you that makeup <laughs> for for half a second at the very end credits. Yeah. yeah.
1: Looks like he got stung by a bunch of bees
0: that's <laughs> pretty rough i really hope they improve that for the next one. Oh man barry keegan i, I can i hope you're not wearing that all all movie yeah
1: I, that bizarre choice
0: it's almost like how um the uh, the first several times you see thanos in in the mcu movies he looks completely different every time until they finally settled on a design on like what like the third or the fourth appearance in 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 the movies
1: yeah i love the original avengers he kind of looks like a happy meal toy
0: <laughs> yeah he's very grimace like yeah uh yeah so this is gonna be a tough category i think we both will be very happy if it won but me personally i think it's just happy to be there and you have a bit more hope but um i believe but that. i still think the whale is is gonna win it <laughs>
1: uh, i hope not but that's probably the way it'll go
0: yeah all right and then the last category we have is is best visual effects i'm i'm curious. I want to know your opinion on this first before I sort of chime in with mine. So where, where are you standing on this category?
1: So, I this this is the one I would love to see win, but I did put it down as a dark horse. This is the only time that I think Avatar has a chance on winning an Academy Award this year. And I don't think it deserves it, but I know how people <laughs> feel about these Avatar movies. So I guess... I don't know. It's avatars Oscar to lose as much as I hate saying that.
0: <laughs> I can just hear you gritting your teeth right there. I just don't get it. Hate saying that. <laughs> I I agree. This is absolutely avatars to lose uh, because that's basically been the entire focal point of this entire franchise is like, Hey, look, James Cameron spent so much money on the visual effects. It's unreal. Um, and, like, yeah, it's it looks really pretty, and, you know, especially compared to another movie in this category, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which has just truly god-awful CGI, especially that in the entire, like, um, boat sequence when they're having their big fight at the end on the boat, which just looks so terrible and, and not like they're actually on water at all. At least Avatar The Way of Water has water that looks like water, which I guess is impressive, but you're kind of wondering how much is this? Uh, did they actually film and how much of it is CGI? It's hard to tell. And I think that's maybe where the impressive aspect is, is you don't know what's real and what's fake. Yeah. And and they do a pretty good job of, of blending the two. We are going to talk more about Avatar and, and get into our, our thoughts on it in, in two movies. But uh, yeah, it's that is winning this category and i'm i'm calling all quite a long shot because i just once again much like makeup and hair styling it's not as pronounced enough even top gun maverick which for the most part was all practical and i wonder how much does that play into things do do, do they consider practical effects visual effects and that's something i've never really gotten a clear enough answer on on, on how what, what the regulations are and what the stipulations are and what voters find important, I would love to really kind of know that of of what their priorities are. Because if it is based on practical effects, shit, you've got Top Gun Maverick as my number one pick then um, because they, they did all the flying. They did all that. Uh but yeah, All Quiet on the Western Front is a lot more subtle. Obviously, there's a lot of explosions and stuff like that, which didn't really happen on the set. You know, they they would do the the bangs from the guns and stuff like that, but you're not actually seeing, you know, buildings crumbling behind them. That would all be CGI. Um, so I, I think it's a lot more subtle. And while I appreciate that and it didn't stand out in a bad way, I don't think it stood out enough in a good way to make voters want to vote for it.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. I have it a little higher than you do. Like I said, it's listed as my dark horse. Um, Mm -hmm. But regardless, Avatar is going to be the one to take it, I guess.
0: (laughs) All right, let's do a little bit of a recap here on this category. Out of nine nominations, I'm having it as uh, one to two wins. You know, its floor is one win because it's absolutely winning Best International Film. And then the other one for me is Best Cinematography. I'm, I'm not too sure... If this movie does really well, I can maybe see it pick up adapted screenplay, uh, but I really sort of feel like its, it's ceiling is maybe two wins, but uh, I, I think you're on a very different level. What, how many do you think Old Quiet's going to walk away with?
1: I have it down for five, six, maybe. Wow.
0: So you think this is going to maybe be the big winner of the night then?
1: I think it's going to surprise A lot of people, even if it wins three, I think that'll be more than what most people expect. Uh, And I can totally see it doing maybe at least three. Um, I don't know which three, but I just think it's a lot stronger than than people are giving it credit for right now. And the BAFTAs might be Mm -hmm. enough to uh, sway some people to, you know, look my way.
0: (laughs) Especially since... Uh, the the actual British films did so poorly at the baftas this year uh, you, you have to wonder if then maybe the British contingent of the Academy aren't truly enamored with those films and and where do their votes sort of go because they're normally a little more predictable about uh, about who they sort of coalesce behind uh, but I would basically say if this movie gets any more than two wins it's I would call it a uh, an overperformance in in a good way. Uh that they're 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 tracking well and, and and it's an overperformance of what sort of I think is maybe the industry consensus right now. That's fair. Alright, let's move on to our next film, which is Tar. <laughs> This film has six nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director for Todd Field, Best Actress for Kate Blanchett, Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. Let's start with the biggie, and that's Best Picture. And this is uh, a tricky one for me to sort of uh, figure out where it lands. I I think it's probably in the three to five range. But I could totally see this is the type of movie that is going to either be very high on on people's preferential ballot or very low on it because it's, it's sort of interesting listening to just other movie goers talk about this movie. And, and I'm someone that's like a huge fan of it. Uh, it's going to be my as of right now, it's my number two movie of the year absolutely adore this movie but then i listen to other people and like it's too boring uh the message isn't clear i don't know if i'm supposed to like Kate blanchett or not all this sort of stuff uh or like they want more music involved in this musical film stuff like that and so it's sort of tricky to get a read on it and i think listening to other people talk about it is probably a good consensus of what the average Voting members also sort of thinking, because you have to remember, not everyone is going super in depth and, you know, watching 50, 60 movies a year. If they're a voter, they might only be watching, you know, 10 to 15 a year. If this is one of the ones that they're watching because it's screeners on their platform and they watch and go, what the hell was this movie? I can see it not doing very well. That said, I still don't know where to sort of rank this. Was, was this a movie that A, you're a fan of? Because I don't think I've, I've heard your opinion on this movie yet. And, and B, where are you sort of placing it in the in the grand scheme of things?
1: Um overall I, I really did enjoy this movie. It wasn't one of my favorites of the year. Um most mostly just for the story. It just didn't grab me. Mm-hmm. Um but it's a really well made film. Um I had it listed as a long shot. I think that it probably falls right right in the like midpoint of all of the movies this year.
0: Yeah, I. That's sort of where I'm doing it as well because you, you have to think that the the types of movies that are crowd pleasers, so your Elvises and I'm sorry, Avatar: The Way of Water, a bit of a crowd pleaser, the, and compared to something like Tar, are probably going to do a little bit better on ballots than something like this, where you walk out and you're just like, oh, I don't know what to feel. This this was a lot to take in.
1: That's it's just kind of a bummer because it is a, a it's a solid movie. It's just not. It's not terrible, but it's not fantastic to me. <laughs> I don't know.
0: And I think it's going to be sort of a lot of the opinions on it seem to be based on the central performance, which we're going to get into a little bit. And uh, and you and you wonder if that maybe plays into things where people will be like, yeah, it's a really great performance by Kate Blanchett, but uh, the movie, yeah, so so. Yeah, that could be it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, moving on to best director for Todd Field. This is another tricky one because do you believe Everything Everywhere is going to win both picture and director? And if you don't believe they're going to win both, who is going to get the split and how? And I think that's a, a very big question, and I am not quite sure where to answer it because I know a lot of uh, a lot of people are thinking Martin McDonough, but considering as of late, Banshees has really not been performing that well, and then Steven Spielberg—they're like. Yeah, but like is this is this up there with Spielberg's greatest movies? Obviously the man's not slowing down, so it's not like we need to worry about like, oh, it's his last chance to be awarded. And then I think Ruben Ostlund, we're gonna get into that a little bit, is 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 probably not really a, a real player here. Does Todd Field maybe stand a chance to to sneak in and if the Daniels falter that he picks up the win?
1: No, I don't think so. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, I, I really don't think so. Um, I, this is another one I had listed as a long shot. I think that mm-hmm. the Daniels and Spielberg specifically um, are, are it's kind of a neck and neck race with them. Um, and then behind that, I would sh- say Martin McDonough.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm still sort of leaning in that similar rankings, the exact same as you. Maybe McDonough and Spielberg. <laughs> Uh, switching, but I, I don't really know, especially considering the underperformance of McDonough lately. Yeah. Todd Field is probably a number four for me, which is, amounts to a long shot, but uh, I think he's a strong long shot.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah. He's fantastic. I just don't, when we're comparing him to the other nominees, yeah. I, I just put him at the fourth ranking, just like you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting because I, I watch his movie and, and I could, I can just see how much influence Todd Field has on the creation of this world that inhabits uh, the Cape Blanche character, uh, and and I'm just so impressed by the way he chose to to film everything. And we're going to talk about that with the cinematography coming up in a couple categories. But I don't know. I, I was a big fan of his direction, and maybe it's just my my personal bias is coming into effect, and in, in sort of uh, uh hope wishing that he'll do better. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, It's funny, I don't think that he really has a chance of winning Oscar night, but I do feel like if I had time to watch this movie two, three, maybe even four more times, I think that he would end up being the best director this year. I mm. think that there's a lot to unpack, probably in this movie more than any other Best Picture nominee, where there's really a lot you can you can – Kind of break down and, and see a lot of themes and things hidden in the movie that you really have to pay attention to. Um, it's just a bummer that on one viewing, it's not enough to put him at the number one slot.
0: Yeah, it's almost one of those the type of movies where maybe in five, ten years, uh people might look back and be like, "I can't believe this this didn't win at the Oscars."
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: So. Who knows? That's, that's sort of like a lot of people's complaint about the Oscars in general of like, well, they never, they never award the right picks anyways. And, and as someone like you who is going through the years and sort of retroactively um, giving uh, the real best picture winners their due, I think you of all people can sort of uh, empathize with, with we maybe not, we're maybe not able to see the forest for the trees <laughs> the year things come out.
1: Yeah. movies, mean different things at different points in your life so it's all obviously you know based on the yeah. the individual
0: <laughs> all right uh moving on to best actress where it's probably one of the the tightest races uh it seems every week it flip-flops between who's going to win michelle yo or Kate blanchett and and i almost feel as of like Kate blanchett's really been uh getting more steam she's she's winning more awards and michelle yo is is not keeping pace with her i originally had them as co-front runners but uh but i think after this last round of awards being handed out i think kate blanchett's the the sole front runner with um with michelle yo being the uh the dark horse there, just waiting in the shadows but uh, i think this is blanchett's to lose
1: and i think that The Academy would be crazy to not have Michelle Yao (laughs) win.
0: I know a lot of people are hoping that there's, for the second time in history, a tie. Uh, I I just don't see that happening. I think there's too many voting members that there would be an exact tie because all it takes is one person to vote a little bit differently and – uh, you know, decide that they want Michelle Williams to win instead that uh, we get one winner over the other. But uh, but yeah, that that's not happening. Do you do you think that a tie is possible? Uh,
1: not like statistically, no, I don't I can't imagine a tie happening for a very, very long time. Um, I don't know that the the race between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh is close enough this year for that. But, I mean, it could always happen.
0: I <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's interesting. Do, do you have Kate Blanchett as your number two then behind Michelle Yeoh? I do. Or do you think that uh, Michelle Williams might sneak up?
1: No, I think Kate Blanchett is absolutely the dark horse.
0: No uh, no love for Andrea Riseborough possibly winning?
1: That, uh, you know, probably more likely than the tie. <laughs> but... <laughs>
0: Honestly, you're probably right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I. That's the only one I haven't seen at this point. So, but either way, I, I'm sure it's not anything Blanchett or Yo.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the the absolute consensus. All right. Uh, moving on to best original screenplay, and and something that I think that you had touched on there with with the direction of Todd Field, who also wrote this screenplay, is. I think this is a movie that's sort of going to benefit from a bit more distance being placed from when it's released to maybe where the movie's actual standing in in film history sort of goes because there is so much to unpack and – You know, people come out of this movie with the debate of like, am I supposed to be rooting for for Cate Blanchett? Am I supposed to be against her? Did she uh, not get punished at all? Was it too harsh of a punishment? Uh, Was she lying the whole time? Is this movie real? Is it all in her head? All this sort of stuff that's going on, I I think, is going to be ripe for a lot of sort of uh, academic deep dive into this screenplay. And that's all because of, you know, Todd Field's masterful work. And as I'm saying this, it's obviously my bias coming through. And this is an absolutely stacked category. Unlike Best Adapted Screenplay, all five of the nominees in original are Best Picture nominees as well. So it is tough. And it's sort of, I, I still have everything everywhere as the front runner, but I'm I'm getting a little soft on, on whether that is going to stay there. I think Tar is a dark horse, and it might be in the case of, you know, uh, picture and director goes to everything everywhere, and then maybe this is where Tar can maybe pick up something as a, a little bit of a, here, this is how we're rewarding you. Here's a screenplay win sort of thing. Uh, I'm, I'm not totally sure if that's if that's legit or not, um, but I, I have him as a strong Dark Horse.
1: Interesting. I, again, I have it listed as a long shot. Um, I okay. think everything everywhere, the Fablemans and the Banshees of Inishiran are all ahead of it. Um, Mm -hmm. but again, this is one of those things, like you said, where I think as time goes on and while more people are able to see this film and, and, you know, maybe more big time film critics dive deep and, and they're able to tell you what this movie is truly about, I think it'll have more value to people. But right now, I don't know that the initial viewing done by most people is enough to, put it to the top of this category.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think it, I have it in like tied for second with Banshees of Anishir and much like women talking Banshees is a very dialogue heavy movie and has some, some great witty dialogue. Uh, so that's probably something that's uh, pretty helpful for it. Whereas tar is more so the, the structural level of whether or not they want to award that. Right. All right. Moving on to best cinematography, uh, we talked about this at length in the last category about how I personally think this is a bit of a tricky category for me to really predict. Uh, I'm calling it a dark horse, but uh, I, I really, I really don't know. You're you're still kind of on the all quiet train, um, as well, are you not? I am. Okay. Where, whereabouts would you have the, the cinematography for this? Because there is some very unique stuff. You know, specifically, uh, there's the one shot scene when, uh, when she's teaching the, the class at university and she goes on her rant, which I think beautifully gets juxtaposed later in the film when the viral video, video comes out, but it's an edit of that scene. And so it's sort of interesting that we get to see the unbroken take. There is no, there is no editing. We are not seeing anyone's perspective, but the audience's perspective. And then later on, we can see how that could be manipulated by an editor, which is a very interesting take on things.
1: That's without a doubt, like, the best use of the cinematography in this movie
0: mm-hmm. for
1: that reason. Um, I, I also really like in this movie, they they focus a lot on Kate Blanchett and mirrors. There's so mm-hmm. many... Shots of her in front of a mirror, but never really looking in the mirror. So it kind of shows how she, she doesn't really self reflect. She doesn't view herself any particular way. I don't know. It that, That's what I'm saying. Like this, this is the movie years from now you'll be able to watch and be like, wow, I never noticed that. And this is interesting. <laughs> um, but I do, yeah. I do think all quiet is still the front runner. Um, you haven't seen Bardo yet, but that is a beautiful movie with a mobile camera with beautifully framed shots, great use of color. Um, so I put even that above tar. I had tar listed as the long shot.
0: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm calling it a dark horse, but I might be leaning more towards long shot as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is definitely the, the love it or hate it movie. It's going to be reevaluated in, in, in five plus years from now.
1: Absolutely agree.
0: Uh, all right, and then the last category is best film editing, and and I sort of touched on it there about the the use of editing within cinematography, and sometimes the best editing is knowing when not to cut, and and we get these great long unbroken takes. Um, unfortunately, I think it's it's just happy to be there. It's got uh, it's got a bit more of a stiff competition, and the fact that. Editing and best picture, they don't always go hand in hand, but uh, but enough so that I think that um, it's it's not going to – I think everything everywhere, it handles the editing so well that nothing really else kind of comes in close to it. Maybe Top Gun Maverick, but I, I don't really think so. And, and so, yeah, TAR for me is a, is a just happy to be there, probably at a number five, because the editing just isn't very visible at times. And I think this category often is, is most film editing as well.
1: Yeah, I have it a little bit higher, uh, again, as a long shot. I, I kind of always closely link the editing and the cinematography, and I think if it's able to pull in one, it'll probably be able to pull in the other. Um, I'm with you. Everything, everywhere, all at once. It's it's amazing how that movie feels, almost like piecemeal together, but still able to work so perfectly.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, recapping this category, I sort of have it as a one win for Cate Blanchett, and and that's really all it's it's gonna get. I don't think it has a floor or a ceiling. I think it's just one. Uh, you sort of seem to be on the other side of things where it doesn't really stand a chance at anything is that is that accurate
1: uh if anything, it would be Kate Blanchett, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: i'm I'm looking at so probably you're more leaning
0: to like a, a zero to one yeah, absolutely next up we've got avatar the way of water
1: I can protect you from paying for my. Sin.
0: This is the one that I think uh, we're both most excited to talk about. It's got uh, four nominations, best picture, best sound, best production design, and best visual effects. So, um, Kyle, tell me, why is uh, Avatar winning best picture?
1: So, uh, actually, I have to go. Um, something came up, and I'm not oh, going like, to be oh, able to finish oh, the Oh, did plug. it? Oh,
0: this is, this is awkward. <laughs> wow.
1: I just don't get it. I don't understand. <laughs> and I... I'm never I never like to be the guy that like bashes a movie. Um because there there's there's value in every movie. Um I just don't like Avatar at all. I don't like what Avatar stands for, even. Not the story, but mm-hmm. just like James Cameron wanting to make this type of movie and his view on movies in general. You can just see that in the film itself. And it kind of grosses me out to hear a filmmaker talk that way. Um it's it's not good.
0: <laughs> you're not you're not alone in that regard either, because I I fully appreciate this idea of wanting to push the medium forward as much as possible and try new things and invent new processes. And, you know, sometimes that works out, you know, magnificently with Peter Jackson with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, or, you know, what he did with Titanic of being able to meld, you know, this big budget spectacle with a truly intimate love story and, and how that sort of plays out. And since then, and even I'm not that much of a fan of Titanic, I'm I'm a bit of a Titanic hater, which I know is a bit of a controversial opinion. I love Titanic. <laughs> controversial controversial opinion on this very podcast um but i but i am right there with you where james cameron and his obsessions just don't really make sense to me and especially since as of late you know his last movie was the first avatar and it seems like he's going to be doing nothing but avatar in the near future um This obsession with the sort of military-industrial complex and what he's trying to say in his his scripts are just so god-awful that— nothing really saves it. There is no saving grace. I, I watched this movie. I'm like, yes, it's pretty to look at, but there is nothing there. And and it was confusing to me, people coming out and being like, yeah, you know, the dialogue isn't great, but you know, it's so moving and I'm so moved by everything that's going on. And I watched it and I was just bored to tears the entire time where, you know, I, I'm just, I I watched RRR yesterday. for the finally watched it just to see, the best original song. Thankfully, it's not an end credit song. It actually takes place during the movie, so I appreciate that. Uh, but it's over three hours. Never once was I checking the time of what time it is. Yes. Whereas in the theaters, I did something that I never do in the theaters, and I looked at my watch in the theater to be like, oh, okay, when did this movie start? Okay, how much more time do I got? <sighs> All right. All right, you can do this. <laughs> and just like – rolling my eyes and you know that thing where you're you're watching a 3d movie and you're just like oh what does it look like without the 3d glasses let me pull it down oh yeah it looks like shit i'll put the glasses back on oh yeah okay yeah that looks nice pull it down oh yeah no, that kind of makes me dizzy put them back up like
1: yeah you're looking for things to do
0: yeah w- was that your experience on this too 100
1: percent. when i went and saw this um i never sit in the back row of the theater but i had a feeling that i was going to be very bored and fidgety and i didn't want to disturb anyone. <laughs> Um, so I sat in the back row and mm-hmm. I did the same thing with my 3D glasses, um, you know, and damn you, James Cameron, for making me see a 3D movie. Like, <laughs> it, they're, they're I can't never, remember the last one I saw. Well, the last one I saw was Avatar. <laughs> and I hate that. I'm, I swear, if I go see Avatar 3, I am not doing 3D. Mark my words, James Cameron.
0: It's tough because I think- at my theaters it wasn't even it wasn't even an option to see it not in 3D
1: you know and that annoys me too because it, that's the only reason this franchise is as money making as it is because they don't give you any options mm-hmm. it's kind of an elitist yeah. film if we really want to talk politics <laughs> it's
0: <laughs> yeah i i agree i think the only way you can catch this probably not in 3D is if you're willing to wait a couple months and then you're you're uh, local non-franchise um, movie theater that has like three screens probably gets it. And that's probably the only way that you're going to see this not in 3D until it comes to like Disney Plus or whatever.
1: And then I will watch it on my phone the way that James Cameron does <laughs> not intend for me to do. Take that, Cameron. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really frustrating though because there's this quote from James Cameron where he's talking about uh, how he makes movies where people can just get up to use the restroom and not miss why, anything.
0: Why would you – that's not uh, That's not a brag.
1: Right? Not at all. And it's I, – I, when a movie like this, where you are designing it as something that people will feel comfortable getting up to use the restroom during – How is that a best picture nominee?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. There there was zero reason for this movie to be three hours long, over three hours long. If this movie was, you know, a little over two, like two and a quarter – I probably would have liked it a lot more. The problem is you're, you're stuck basically watching a bunch of characters you really don't care about, and you're like, oh, am I stuck with the guy with the weird politics, or am I stuck with the annoying children, or am I stuck with the bullies? Like, wh- who do I want to be stuck with for an extended period of time that doesn't annoy me in this movie, and I don't know who it is, especially considering the person they're basing this whole, all around, the Jake Sully character – I I don't think you could care less about a major character than Sam Worthington playing Jake Sully. Like, can you name a a big blockbuster movie where the lead character is just so bland and unlikable? I can't.
1: No, no, I really tried. I was trying to think of anything.
0: Because everything else, you, there, there's something to to appreciate and root for for these characters. Um, any other big-budget blockbuster-type movie, where, admittedly, usually these types of movies don't have the strongest scripts. They're not very deep. They don't have a lot of meaning. It's usually very surface-level and stuff like that, and that's fine. That's that's a type of movie, and that's a genre, and, and people like that, and that's that's fine. That's what a people-pleasing movie is. But with this, with, with the Worthington character, you're just like... There's nothing redeemable about your performance, about your your character, nothing like that. You, you can you can name literally any other big budget, high grossing movie, and you can at least sort of uh root for the main character. This one I don't I don't care if he succeeds or fails.
1: Not at all. I, I will say I do like Zoe Zaldana in these movies. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not in love with the character or anything, but I think that she really gives her all in these movies in a way that nobody else does. And I can, I can appreciate that. Um, still not very well written and I, I just get bored very quickly.
0: Yeah. I, I was listening to another podcast review is, and that was sort of the, the one point that they were able to hone in on and being like, you know what? Zoe Saldana does really give it her all. Yes. Her character isn't very deep and kind of falls back to the same tropes. And doesn't really grow or evolve, but she's at least giving it her all in a way that, like, you could be like, hey, Andy Serkis is giving it his all. The difference being when Andy Serkis is in a movie, usually his characters are are better written. Um, But there's so few actors these days who are truly able to make a motion capture performance great. And, And I think Zoe Saldana is one of the few actors working today that is sort of able to elevate her performance to that echelon of what she's doing is actually unique and interesting even though her character sucks.
1: Yeah, I I think that has to do with her coming from so many films now that rely on standing in front of a green screen. Um, Mm -hmm. She's just kind of a seasoned vet at this point.
0: Yeah, the joke being what color alien is Zoe Saldana going to play now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I have this as just happy to be there. I, I think this is kind of in the higher end of the just happy to be there but it's uh it's not winning it it has no real shot you even look at the the nominations the first avatar had nine nominations this one only has four and i think that sort of tells you everything about the way this movie is is sort of looked at where it is purely a technical effects mastery in nothing else
1: i think this is a just lucky to be there (laughs) Um,
0: I like that better.
1: I I imagine James Cameron doesn't even care.
0: He now has, what is it? I think like three of the four highest grossing movies of all time. He is going to go down in in, literally in textbook history of um, what he did during his career. and, And that is all.
1: You know, I really hope that when they're every time they're announcing a category that this has been nominated for, I hope he goes and he uses the restroom. I think that would be, I, I think I would respect Poetic. him more if he did that.
0: Yeah. Don't worry. I can miss this part. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, let's move on to best sound. I feel like we've, uh, we well, it deserves more criticism. We have criticized it enough and we got to keep this show moving. Best sound. We talked about it a little bit with all quiet on the Western front and it really sort of comes down to, are these the technical categories that this movie is nominated for? Are the, the Academy over the moon for in such a way that it sort of blocks everything else out, or are they maybe uh, a little bit weaker than we maybe think I'm, I'm calling for best sound a bit of a long shot because this movie is not nominated for best editing. I think that hinders it. And I think Top Gun, Elvis and all quiet are, are ahead of it. In my opinion.
1: I agree with you. It's a long shot. It, James Cameron made a Star Wars-esque movie without mm-hmm. the lightsaber sounds or the TIE fighter sounds. It's it's dull. It's bland. I don't think it is even deserving of the nomination, if I'm being completely honest. But I do think it's a long shot running.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I, I think so, too. Uh, moving on to best production design, my sort of critique with this is, uh, I don't know what's real and what's not. And I think that sort of hinders how you tell what the production design is. Similarly with, with Elvis in its cinematography, I'm confused by this nomination here because yeah, I know they were interacting with, with real sets and yes, they were filming in water and stuff like that. But, um, but if you can't actually see the production design, I'm going to assume that it was all, uh, computer generated.
1: Yeah. I'm just happy to be here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm calling it a long shot just because I it maybe get swept up with the technical stuff, but um but yeah, it's it's not a very high long shot. It's probably the number 4 movie for me in this category. Uh and then lastly, visual effects uh we both begrudgingly believe this is a front runner. It, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, it's the front runner, I guess.
0: <laughs> it's going to be real interesting if this movie loses this award. Oh man. And do you, do you see foresee a world taking our own personal hatred out of out of this where that is a possibility or do you think this is sort of such a lock?
1: Um I I think honestly that it does have the possibility of losing just if people in the academy have the same opinions as we do where where they're like yeah it's pretty but we we get it we've done this before we want something a little more grounded than flying blue aliens on a planet i don't care about
0: (laughs) and i think maybe i wonder if it would hurt it or not was yes the the water stuff was was newer to the franchise, but the way the world of Pandora looks is still the same. I wonder if that would play into it at all and be like, we've actually seen this before. Um you're you're not you're not doing anything new. The difference with something like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, where each installment sort of uh brought new life to the world and was showing us different aspects of Middle earth. This is a lot of similar stuff yeah it's, it, the, the effects are even better from the first avatar that we saw uh, that was well over a decade ago uh, but it's still you know relatively the same it's it's the same planet it's the same sort of um, uh, machinery that sort of stuff there's a couple like there's new animals when you're incorporating the the water stuff but like is that enough really to, to sway it I don't know I hope not <laughs> <laughs> Uh, recap. I think this is a very solid one win movie. Uh, I don't think it's going to win the other stuff. Uh, much like tar for me, it's, it's floor and ceiling is one win.
1: Same one, one win. Yeah. Uh, if it won none, I'd be completely okay with that.
0: That's your, that's your true victory is if avatar walks away with nothing.
1: Yeah. If it, if it has nothing, then I will come back from the restroom and cheer.
0: Uh, All right, let's move on to our last film, and that is Triangle of Sadness. Mm So this movie has three nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director for Ruben Ausland and Best Original Screenplay, also written by Ruben Ausland. Um We talked about Avatar being just happy to be there, and I think Triangle of Sadness was probably the number 10 movie. It was not expected to really get into this category, uh, so the fact that it did, and even getting into Best Director was a huge overperformance for it. I I'm putting it firmly in the, just happy to be there. It's, it's probably, I think it's going to be a bit of a divisive movie. So I think, I think on the preferential ballot, it's going to end up fairly low on a lot of people's, uh, and probably is going to end up lower overall than even avatar, which is a bit of a shame. I quite like this movie, but, uh, I can see why a lot of people probably did not like this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I just watched this this morning before the podcast. Um, And I I did enjoy it. Uh, I I had seen The Square, Robert Usland's previous Mm -hmm. film. I don't know if it was the one directly before this, but I really did not enjoy that movie. And when I found out it was his film, I was really, really worried. Um, But I ended up enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, I'm I'm with you, though. It's kind of just happy to be here. It's just not one of the stronger movies.
0: Yeah, it's got a... A pretty, I'll call it memorable sequence. Um, <laughs> memorable for probably the wrong reasons, or maybe not, depending on your, your feelings of it. Um, maybe this movie should have been nominated for, for Best um, uh, Makeup and Visual Effects and stuff like that yeah. <laughs> because of that sequence. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's a movie I, I, I'm a fan of, but I'm not over the moon of, and I'm not going to be, get, you know, super defensive if someone's like, I didn't like it. I'm just like, all right, well, fine. This movie is clearly not for everyone. Um and that that really shows. I wonder if maybe the the satirizing, the the rich aspect will will maybe not play so well with some of the people in the audience that are uh voters and that probably will, will hinder its chances even more. Uh but yeah the the fact that it got nominated in Best Picture is, is definitely this film overperforming for me.
1: I 100% agree.
0: Yeah. Uh, Moving on to Best Director Ruben Ostland and very similar to Best Picture. I I was shocked that he got into this category. I was expecting... uh, Sarah Pauly maybe to get in for Women Talking or maybe Joseph Kaczynski for Top Gun Maverick uh, or even Boz Lerman, um, considering it's such a crowd-pleasing movie for Elvis. And so Ruben Oslin getting named here is a, is a huge over, over-performance as well, too. Um, I was not expecting this. And, and frankly, he's number five out of five in this category. He is the ultimate just happy to be here in this group of people where he gets to sit there, get drunk, and, you know, have... Uh, uh, some good conversations with whoever he gets sat next to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's like his golden ticket really. Um, but I, I'd say he's more of like an Augustus gloop than a Charlie, you know, he's, he's not getting the factory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's definitely a bit of a deep cut reference there. Uh, <laughs> don't get many, uh, Willy Wonka references on, on this podcast.
1: Well, that's about to change Dakota. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh and then the last nomination is best original screenplay and this is where things get tricky because I think the screenplay is obviously the highlight of this movie it it plays with conventions a little bit with its sort of uh unique three act structure where each one kind of works as if it was a TV show you can sort of see each act being its own episode where it's got its own start and end point and then also the fact that it's it's a very on the nose movie, and I know that's a, a sort of a general complaint a lot of people have with it where it's like, yeah, we get it rich people suck they're the worst they're ruining the world but like I don't know it still sort of takes a little bit of balls to to be like no, I'm gonna." make fun of the rich so hard that you might actually end up feeling a little bit sympathetic for them when they're literally being um, thrown across a boat in their own vomit and shit. Um, So I don't know. How, How do you sort of feel about this screenplay? Is this one that you, you think is a pretty strong screenplay and might be a bit of a contender or is it just, you know, just happy to be there as well?
1: I think it's a strong screenplay. Um, but I do feel like it is just happy to be there. The, the movies it's up against just completely blow it out of the water. And like you said, it is very on the nose. Um, I think a movie last year that had a similar premise was the menu and that was kind of more easily digestible. It's, it's (laughs) anti-rich, no
0: pun intended or pen. Uh,
1: depends on how queasy people are feeling about mentioning the vomit chip scene. (laughs) Um, but yeah, just like that alone, the fact that you, you sit there and you watch, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of people rolling around and in their own sick, I think that actually does a lot to hurt this screenplay.
0: Did you see this movie in theater with a crowd or or were you watching it? No,
1: no, no. I watched it at home. Uh, I was by myself and I had heard that there was something in the movie that, uh, was a little uncomfortable. Um, I watch a lot of horror movies though, uh, and I was not phased by it, but I was like, wow, really this is best picture nominated and we're spending that much time. That's interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I saw it in in a theater at a festival actually. And so it was a, it was a very big crowd and, uh, word hadn't really gotten out yet. Uh, it was sort of being like, oh, there's a, there's a sequence Be be prepared for that. And that was all kind of people were saying, uh, so I kind of had a little bit of an idea of what was coming, but I don't think anyone else did in the crowd. And so listening to everyone's reactions was, was quite funny and, and probably more funny for me than the actual scene itself.
1: Yeah. I, I feel like I would have loved that. Just yeah. everyone retching in the audience. Yeah.
0: <laughs> A little bit. It was like, it was a mix between the, oh no, with like laughter as well. Yeah. Um, so definitely seeing what everyone's comfort level with something like this, because it does go on for quite a long that's time. a
1: really long time.
0: You know, <laughs> that's it,
1: kind of a theme this year because you also had Margot Robbie going to a very high end mm-hmm. lunch or dinner. Uh, it's just a lot of, a lot of vomit this year.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then even stuff with like what's going on in Banties of Inisherin when what he does with his hand uh, that also kind of plays out for a long time as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, the movie drags a little. It's a little too long.
0: I I probably would put it in the in the number four spot. I think it's ahead of Fablement, The Fablements, because um, that that's probably the one movie that doesn't do anything unique or or new. Compared to the other ones, and the dialogue isn't as heavy compared to something like Banshees of Enesheeran*, which is very dialogue heavy and, and and quite strong at that as well. So it's a, it's a maybe a number four. So it's a it's a it's a very long shot uh, for me. But uh, I don't know. I, I think when when the movie first came out and I was trying to predict things to happen, I thought it might have done a little bit better in this category. But I think as time has gone on, it's it's shown that it isn't really a contender.
1: Yeah, I put it as just happy to be there. Your your Fablemans okay, is fair, interesting. We, we don't have to get into it. It's just very interesting to me.
0: I I like the movie. I didn't love it. And, uh, I, you know, I think we've now seen about two dozen director biopics in the last couple of years that uh, it just doesn't it doesn't move the needle in originality for me. That's fair. Despite it still being a very, you know, competent and well-made movie and one that I, I did find myself enjoying but overall not groundbreaking
1: just not enough vomit for you is what i'm hearing
0: exactly not (laughs) enough vomit for me (laughs) uh so to recap triangle of sadness i have it walking away with with nothing there there's unfortunately no real path for them to win any of their their nominations um what about you
1: completely agree overall just happy to be there sitting in the wonka factory
0: That's number two. Um, <laughs> all right. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I, I really appreciate it. I always love when, when you come on. We, we have some great discussions, and uh, I, I have to have you a, a bit more of a regular guest. Uh, this this shouldn't be a once-a-year thing, but um, where can people follow your, your show and uh, anything else you want to plug right now? Uh,
1: firstly, thank you for having me. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, my show's been on a hiatus for a few months now so it was nice to be able to talk movies with someone else outside of uh friends and family just being like that movie was good that movie was bad um but the name of my show is once upon a time at the oscars it's available on all podcast platforms um you can follow us on twitter facebook instagram uh o-u-t-a-o podcast or just look up once upon a time at the oscars um Hiatus is still going on. I'm hoping to figure something out. I don't know if I'm going to do a a new permanent host or if I'll be focusing on guest hosts, but it'll probably be a a little while before the show really gets going. But you have about two and a half years of content to listen to if you'd like.
0: Yeah, lots of great stuff there. And uh and when you do come back, I will make sure that uh everyone that listens to this show also knows about it as well because it's 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 one of those concepts of a show where you, you sort of kick yourself and be like, Man, I wish I would have thought of that concept. That's a great idea. Uh and and obviously I I'm way too deep into my show to ever even contemplate switching formats. But uh but yeah, I, I just love the concept of, of your show.
1: I appreciate that.
0: Uh, but yeah, you can find links to all of that in the show notes. And this has been a That Shelf podcast. Visit ThatShelf.com for more great film discourse. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. How do you think All Quiet on the Western Front, TAR, Avatar 2, and Triangle of Sadness will do at the Oscars? Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Campbell Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you really like the show, consider tipping us on coffee. Thanks for checking us out.